Hi, it's the Quishfront Podcast. I'm Maya, back with another episode. With me today is Aishan Molanda, musician and performer based in Berlin. Aishan has had a busy year of 2020. Despite the pandemic, she ended up performing as a main character in the Nina Simone Four Women musical in Vienna, Austria, throughout a summer of global uprising against social injustice. Aishan is a performer of many talents. From playing in a punk band as a teenager to singing at weddings and performing in The Lion King, she has a lot of stories to tell. And today we'll be talking about her journey into music, as well as discussing finding balance and perspective in an unprecedented time. Let's do this. Hello friends, welcome to episode number 10 of the Chris Schron podcast. I'm your host Maya, I'm a pronouncer she and her, and today we are honoured to welcome as a guest Ashan Malanta. Germany-based solo artist. We're so happy to have you with us today. Please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Aishan Malonda. My artist's name is Malonda. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm really glad to be here. (laughs) Wow, I'm excited. But for those of you tuning in for the first time on the Quest Front podcast, we invite marginalized artists and crew to talk about breaking into the music industry, growing as an artist, finding crew gigs, and more. We try to give the listener a feeling of empowerment that they can do it too. And who is Quiz Front Booking, you ask? We are a touring and booking agency that prioritises queer, BIPOC and disabled artists and we operate all over North America, UK and Europe. Anyways, it's really nice to chat to you again. Um, and just to give a little backstory to our listeners, um, both of us met about like probably two years ago, um, and we worked together for a small European run uh, that I helped booking. And we also ended up playing a show together, which was really nice. Uh, one of my favorite shows in memory, actually, even though it was kind of weird, but also kind of really awesome because it was so diverse in in multiple ways. It happened in a squatted DIY venue in Eastern Germany, really small room. And I ended up giving a talk about being a trans woman. Then you performed a set with like pop vibes and sort of like big stage energy to me. And then another trans woman played a very like intimate and emotional solo set with guitar and vocals about her experiences with being transgender as well. And it was such like an untypical show for like German DIY punk squatter e circus, wasn't it? Like I really loved how completely out of the norm that was in a way. Because, yeah. like, you don't see those shows in, like, the punk scene very often. Usually, usually don't. Also, I was I was fairly new to the scene, I have to say. And um, I remember when we when we first started working together, I, I wasn't even sure if you could book me to a venue. So, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so that was very surprising, actually. Also, how the audiences responded and how I, for the first time, got introduced to more left-wing activist bubble here in Germany with a lot of BIPOC people, um, with a lot of LGBTQIA people. It was just like, and, and that was, I mean, I have been in those spaces ever since. And it is, it, it's really good. I mean, it, it furthered where, I mean, I understood a lot more about political activism, you know, only by touring the spaces that you booked yes so that was yes. that was really interesting no i'm so glad it happened like i was i was kind of skeptical and i totally remember our first kind of conversations where 
you kind of went into it with, um, I guess a little bit more of an expectation, um, or not an expectation, but like just the desire to, um, kind of like play a little bit of like larger rooms and like slightly more commercial spaces, which mm. I feel is more where like you come from in a way. Yeah. And I come from pretty much a polar opposite to that, yeah. which is very much like the squatter DIY punk, like basement show house venue kind of scene. And like, I remember going out of our first conversation, kind of like wondering whether this is the right fit, but then we got together again and I really loved that in the end we made it happen and it ended up being a really like kick-ass experience, wasn't it? Yes, it was really, it was actually pretty amazing. When I first got introduced to those concepts and those spaces, I was so I was so used to navigate navigating more commercial spaces and heteronormative experiences that I never even thought about label, labeling myself as a queer black woman. That was never, you know, that was never really part of my narrative. And now that's something that I explicitly do quite a lot, you know, because I feel like that sort of identity needs to be stressed as to, you know, if I navigate a space, people need to, I, I feel that I need to tell that to people, you know, I mean, based on the intersectional experience of, um, of being black and being queer and living in Germany, especially is something that is, Germany is fairly new to the whole concept of, um, Uh, identity politics it seems to me oh it is yeah um, very much and so. and they're very illiterate in that kind of in that kind of sense so we need to open up these dialogues we need to actually have those difficult conversations and you know it helps to position yourself you know and to position yourself you sort of have to be aware of your own identity and where your own intersectional discrimination experience is actually stemming from I, I fully, I, I couldn't agree more. And actually, if I'm, if I'm honest, like one of the reasons that I moved uh, moved out of Germany this year, um, so for, for the avid listener, um, I'm, uh, I'm from Germany, but I live in Austria now. And uh, actually, yeah, one of the reasons I moved out of Germany is because, yeah, it is really difficult to like be active I'd like try to engage with people, talk about identity politics and like do the activism. And a lot of people just aren't ready for that. And um, I mean, Austria is not too much better in a lot of ways, but like in some ways, and it's good to be here now. Well, the thing is what Germany really lacks, and I've been talking about this to a friend recently, is that Germany is hardly ever part of the international conversations, it seems. You know, mm. they don't, very even much. even the left, the left-wing scene is very, very focused on German issues and not so much how the, the, the left-wing actually, you know, like, or what we call left nowadays. It's very, very conservative in a left context when you see it globally. You know, like, I mean, I, I, I sometimes, you know, I, t I talk to, You know, when I'm, when I'm in those uh, political conversations and I'm like, really? Is that what you call being a left person? I mean, you're still hella racist. <laughs> you're still very, very queer exclusive. There are issues mm. here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, you're right. And it is actually something that, um, I have been criticizing for a long time that I feel like, uh, especially in Germany, um, maybe left people, like people on the political left maybe maybe they are just a little bit too comfortable in what they have um if that makes sense like is like 
getting back into music a little bit again, like my criticism mostly, my criticism about that is mostly like in the context of the music industry where I feel like the infrastructure and like, um, you know, the experience as a left person, it's kind of like fairly sort of easygoing, it, like seen in an international context. And you really got everything that you need as say like a leftist band or something in Germany. And so I feel like a lot of, a lot of folks don't really ever have to um, kind of like be more internationally connected, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I wonder about that because like, you know, when, especially, you know, when, we, when we're talking about diverse and inclusive events, you really, really have to look hard in Germany. It's really, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, I mean, yep. seriously, it sure. is. And, um, you know, we were, we were talking about this. Um, I, there's one commercial festival, which I actually like. It's a pop culture festival in Berlin mm -hmm. um, because they are trying to raise awareness and trying to tackle those issues. And they're doing, they're doing rather well when it comes to, when it comes to, people with disability when it comes to the LGBTQIA spectrum and with BIPOC people as well. They're not, but not all of, you know, that then there are specific German discourses and that, that's, uh, that's yeah. I mean, I don't want to go into that. <laughs> no, that's all right. I, I was actually kind of thinking like, I, I actually didn't plan to go into politics already so early into the interview. I like, I really, I really wanted, <laughs> I really wanted it to be an interview that is, you know, not just about politics. I kind of assumed that we would kind of get into that, but, um, I, I really wanted to, <laughs> first things first, I really wanted to ask you, how <laughs> did you get into music in the first place? And how did your current solo project, uh, Melinda came, uh, come together in the first place? I, I actually don't know. And I'm really interested to hear. Um... Well, um, first of all, about the politics thing, I have to say that it's sort of my whole year has been political. I could not, you know, it has been, and it has been a hell of a ride. So <laughs> it's really hard not to go into that. But of course, of course, you know, let's, let's talk about how I got into music. I, um, I think I started singing when I was like six years old. I did it because, um, you know, it was just, it, it felt great to me. There was really, you know, I thought, I should be on stage. I loved, I used to love Whitney Houston. I think she corresponded to me in a specific way. And I have to, and I have to say also probably because she was that black woman that every white person liked, you know? So it was like, see, so yeah, she had that, she had that sort of identity, you know, of palatability, I would say nowadays to white people. And so that was something, and, and, At the same time, she was seen everywhere. So, you know, for me, it was like, you know, loving Whitney Houston was something that I could openly do. Um, and, um, but my, my parents were sort of like, they were drilling this sort of thing into me that you have to be, that I had to be better and smarter and more literate and stuff like every, like, like everybody, anybody else. And what they were, what they meant was then white people around me. And, um, so they wanted me to be an academic rather than a musician. And so I sang, you know, like sort of on the sly, I sang when I was alone at home and stuff like that. I didn't really, I didn't really sing as, as a soloist until I was 16. And my parents always thought I couldn't sing. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because I always did it in secret. And when I was 16, I sang at my brother's wedding, my sec- my my older brother's wedding. And um, my parents were like, wow, we didn't know you can sing. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while. And they're like, oh, yeah, so you can earn some money with that. And um, so I sang at weddings. And um, then I had a punk band when I was 18. But then I moved and I didn't sing for years after that due to a personal emotional crisis and um so again people around me wouldn't know that I sang you know I would stand also in front stand in front of a microphone after I told my friend who's now a label boss in Germany it's really funny how that came about but um he he always he's always laughing at how I was standing in front of the microphone and too shy to actually even speak um and then when I was like 22, I went for a job at, at a casting show. I took part in that casting. <laughs> and um, when I got, got along a couple of rounds and got became really popular for the German TV audience and I got back and uh, I was working at a theater at that time and a musical theater in Germany and they were saying yeah you need to you need to audition you need to audition for the Lion King and I auditioned for the Lion King and I got the job and I did that and I was very very unhappy doing that because I realized that I don't want to earn my money by being somebody that I don't want to be by playing a role and um, so after that I started getting into the house music scene you know, releasing a couple of tracks here and there. Um, and then I started writing my own songs. And yeah, that's how that happened. I actually started writing during therapy. And um, afterwards, when somebody told me, it was just a, a little challenge, actually. Somebody told me, well, you know, it's really late for you to get into music. You know that it's never too late. Yeah, you know, but he was, he was like that white male guy who was sort of like, he hadn't, he had done it for years mm. and he had that attitude, you know, like, you know, what, what, what do you think? What do you expect? And he was really arrogant about it. And he challenged me and he said, and I was like, yeah, you think I can do it? And I prepared a concert within a couple uh-huh. of weeks and then I played my first solo concert. And, um, yeah, that's how the Malonda project came about. And how did that go? Oh, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a great songwriter back then, but I had, mm-hmm. you know, I, I invited people that I, because, because, you know, making music for me always has been about collaboration and sharing spaces and also sharing mm-hmm. stories. So I would, invite other musicians that I had worked with before and um, for example uh, and and do cover songs together as well you know like I did my own songs by myself but I invited them for covers like for example I did a version of Herbert Grunemeyer's Männer song which is about masculinity Um, I did that with with uh, four other women and we sang that song, you know, like with a, with a big, huge three part harmony and lots of ad libs and stuff like that. <laughs> and it was just, and it was just fun, you know, and I sang a couple of uh, other covers with a couple of other friends. And it was really lovely. That was a really, really lovely experience. And I got really a feeling 
for what I wanted to do, which was to tell stories and bring people together. How how long has it been since that first show? Well, I think it has been in, I think I was in 2012, I think. Wow, you've been around for eight years with this yes. project. That's a long time. Yes, I mean, I mean, the Malonda project then really was uh, was born in 2013 when I first came to Berlin and was like, okay, you know what, this is, it's, I'm gonna be Malonda and I'm gonna do that. And I did my first music mm -hmm. video and I started working with my artist coach, um, who's now also my uh, also my publisher. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's when it all started. And then it took. That's really cool. <laughs> it still took a couple of years. So, I mean, I re released my first EP last year, so I had been around a couple, a, a while, and I already had been had been touring with as a support act for other people. But it always took me time to actually release that EP to actually bring that vision of who I wanted to be or who Malonda is into an output something you could actually you could actually say okay this is this is my card now <laughs> mm, i see yeah i do um i was wondering could you just maybe give a quick introduction in like into your music into your project say like for our especially like overseas uh listeners like what what is your project all about like what are kind of like the uh the issues that you touch upon in your lyrics and what is it kind of like musically well, as I, I when I when I first wrote about what kind of music I I wanted to do, I wrote down one word. I wrote down, down diva. I said I wanted to be a diva. It should be, and it it should be something where you are where you are huge and glorious and shining, and at the same time you're fragile. At the same time you're very emotional, you know stuff like that. And I always thought that it was something that could be achieved by language and gestures which is how i'm working mostly musically it's on the dance music side like electronic popular something but sometimes it, it sometimes a little a little leaning to techno sometimes but mm -hmm. um Due to the, due to the amount of singing, you could describe it still as pop music, like very indie pop music, I'd say. Yeah, it gives, it gives off those vibes to me for sure. And it's like really sort of danceable and, um, yeah, it's, it's slightly like the music itself appears kind of like slightly upbeat, even though the lyrics aren't necessarily that, um, all the way. But, um, no, it's really cool. And, uh, again, like when we worked together, it was definitely something way out of my comfort zone, just musically speaking. Because again, like I, I genuinely never had to do with like that type of music before because <laughs> I was so socialized, like emo and punk and like hardcore and stuff like that. I mean, I'm still not super close with that line of music, but I, anyways, uh, this is super random as well, but you kind of mentioned it before and I prepared and like watched a couple interviews you did and stuff uh, um, lately. Uh, you sang in a fucking punk band as a teenager, so you're not that far from, like, where I am socialized. How did that happen, and, like, what was that about? Well, the thing is, the thing is, I just wanted a band, um, and I, before that, I was more in the gothic and metal scene, that's how I grew up, basically, because, um, those, 
you know the scene the the the, spe the german metal and gothic scene for me was like more about freedom than what i knew about hip-hop you know they were not those they were not those men who would be like sister and think that i had to do something or be a certain way you know i didn't have to i didn't have to stereotype anything when i was in the gothic and metal scene so i think the punk band was basically and and punk also sort of i mean it was also kind of political from what i knew and loud and it's just some it's just spoke to me it just spoke to me but we ever we only ever did one concert i think and then i moved away <laughs> it, it was a short-lived thing wasn't it it was, yeah. a, it was a very short-lived thing i think we had been playing together for a year or something and we did a concert and then i moved <laughs> wow yeah um let's talk about this year and the rise of live streams and kind of like the changes to the music industry that um you know have hit us all really hard uh you've been fairly active in terms of live stream performances this year how did that new way of performing work for you was i actually i think i only did nah i, I did not no i did what i did was um i didn't perform i had a live stream talk show Mm -hmm. um, where invited people and other people played. I actually only played one concert for um, the CSD Pride Parade in Munich. And other than that, oh yeah, I saw I saw that video. It was really well done with like the um, the light bulbs and stuff. Yeah. Um, like on the stage and like yeah, it's weird to describe it to like a listener in a podcast, but like it was pretty sick. So I go watch it. Yeah, it was, it was actually, that was actually quite nice, but it was not a live stream thing. You know, the thing is, um, you know, I for one, and per personally, I'm always for sharing music, but I don't like the exploitative aspect of everybody going online and streaming for free while other people keep making money with your royalties. That's just something that I'm in general not here for, I guess. So, um, I didn't, I didn't stream a lot of my concerts, I have to say. Um, but I've seen, for example, when, when it, I think a couple of streaming events actually were infrastructurally better for, like, example, friends from Russia told me about the first Russian Pride, which was completely, was completely online and it was safe. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, of course, you know, it, you know, that, that sort of event actually makes it safe for the community to actually show up and be there. Very much so, yeah. So that was a good thing. But other than that, I have to say, I'm, you know, if somebody should benefit from the whole streaming process, then it should be the artists. And this is something where I'm very, I'm, I'm not very happy about how this year went in that aspect, I have to say. Yeah, me neither. I mean, the one good thing about it is kind of like the safety and most importantly, the ex uh, the accessibility. Yes. Like disabled people have been saying for such a long time, like, hey, we can't just like go to your avid live show. And I think it's something we've spoken about before as well. But like how many venues do not have wheelchair access, for example, you know, or not yeah. a wheelchair accessible toilet. So yeah. that's maybe the one good thing about the live streams and stuff this year. Um, but yeah i agree and it's it's kind of like been commodified really quick and um i mean 
I, I'm not gonna lie, like I'm I'm not perfect in that either, but like it is it is it is still like why why would I pay like five bucks at the door at a show, but like why would I not pay five bucks for the live stream? I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um I was I was really glad to see like the stream slash pre produced stream that he did for uh, the Pride Parade in Munich. That was really well done and I don't know, at the beginning the novelty was quite cool of like seeing people just like play a lo fi computer microphone kind of thing with their acoustic guitar in the living rooms and stuff. Um, and felt like community, but sort of like after two weeks, I was already sick of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, nowadays the only thing that I watch are like pre-produced live streams with like, you know, proper light show and stuff. And yeah. I'm, I'm happy to pay for that as well. Like the other day I watched, uh, the, uh, Touche Amour, um, live stream, uh, and it was, it was sick and it was yeah. so well done with a proper light show and another band that I really like from Canada called Pup did a one that's really good um, one of my other favourite many favourite bands uh, called Paris they did a really cool live stream as well with a full production and stuff yeah. like I'm happy to go watch that thing but like don't know um, yeah I, I, I'm not a big fan of like these lo-fi kind of bedroom style kind of things. Yeah, I mean, I it doesn't, it doesn't anybody really any favors, you know, like if you want to, <laughs> I mean, true. seriously, if you want to enjoy yeah. music, you, you know, you go there for listening, you know, and with the, mm. especially with the live stream, then connection is bad and, you know, and then the sound is not great and stuff like that. And then it cuts yeah. out and everything. So the artists exactly. don't even get, you know, also infrastructurally, they don't get, the possibilities to present themselves in the best way possible. So again, they're not benefiting from it. You know, so I'm like, true. Ah, uh, and you know, one, that aspect of accessibility is actually something that I also think is very important that now actually people were forced to think about those things, which they should have thought of before, you know, like make all mm. their online content also accessible to people with disabilities. Um, yeah, you know, true. and, and that is, you know, why so late <laughs> again? Why so late? So, okay. The crisis <laughs> forced them to do it. And that's a good thing. And if there's anything that has been learned now, and I've been saying that in other talks and meetings, you have to keep that going. You actually have to keep that going. Yeah. You have to take that into normal times, precedented times. You actually have to make that Very happen. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I just fully agree. I also wanted to ask about the uh, live streams that you did where you basically invited a bunch of friends of yours and had a chat. Mm. Um, and it wasn't really like lo-fi, you know, music, but it was more like you just, I like I, wa I watched a little bit of it earlier today and uh, you were just kind of like hanging out and, and having a chat. And it was actually really kind of relaxing to watch that. And I really liked that. And maybe it's another positive for me from this year, like live streams and stuff. Uh, what I really like are just live streams where people, where like, especially like music people kind of like show another side, another side of them. Um, and, you know, I, I fucking love things like watching my favorite like musician cook chili or some stuff like that, or like mm. just have a chat with their friends or something like that, you know? Like, that is the thing that I really like. And I feel like all of us in this year, just really want some basic feeling of connection, you know, no, we're just all sitting at home in lockdown and stuff. And now it's winter and like, all I want to have is the feeling of sleeping on somebody else's, else's couch and them cooking me a chili. So like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yes, yes, totally. I mean, you know, the thing is, the thing is what I realized is 
that um, I'm socially a little awkward, I have to say. Like, it's, for me, it's always a little, di has always been difficult. You know, it's different when I'm on stage, you know, because stage always gives me, gives me a, sa a safer space or like, you know, yeah. where I have like a comfort zone, you know, this is the stage and this is the audience, you know, so I'm sort of separated from that. But, um, you know, like getting together in groups of people has never been easy to me. So I have to say that actually those online shows, you know, and the need to actually talk more via video conferencing and stuff was actually for me really good. I got pretty social <laughs> this year, I have to say. That's great. <laughs> so actually, yeah. And, um, the, um, uh, that Instagram show was sort of born from that. And what I wanted to do was basically, um, because we were talking about Corona this and Corona that, and I was like, yeah, but mm. we're still a society, a diverse society that has more than one topic, you know? So I wanted to, I wanted to bring that back. So I told, I told everybody who got on my show and actually I'm going to do a Christmas special and maybe you want to come, you want to come hang out. Sick. I would love to. Um, so what I did was basically tell everybody, okay, so this is it. We're going to, we're going to speak about the things that are important to you. That is, you know, and we're gonna, we're gonna have a, a little pre-interview and we're gonna talk about a couple of things. So, you know, I wanted to make that, make that as, do you say pluralistic or whatever? I wanted to, but I wanted yeah, to, yeah, yeah, I wanted to make that as pluralistic as possible. I was like, don't be afraid to actually talk politics. Don't be afraid to actually talk also, you know, mental health. We talked about transitioning. We talked about, you know, we talked about a lot of things where I was like, that is actually really nice because I, and people were really opening up and people were regularly coming and visiting. And I'm actually really sad that I didn't do it, you know, because after the whole Black Lives Matter thing broke, you know, I actually got a lot of interview requests to do this and that. And then everything was sort of centered around this. And I had to speak mm. about from the position of being black in Germany, which was all of a sudden a super new thing. Like I haven't been around for 37 years. <laughs> like like it hadn't been before. Yeah. yeah I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it, was I, was I just born or what happened? <laughs> and Is it, isn't that a whole thing? Like I, I, I feel like I saw this dynamic a lot where obviously, especially white people were like, Whoa, I'm in Germany. I'm just suddenly discovering racism but like we don't have police brutality in germany don't we that's a thing that happens in like the u.s doesn't it it's not a problem that we have do you know what i mean like did you see that dynamic as well it's so weird it's so weird and i had you know i personally experienced police brutality in germany like four mm. years ago so i was like um yeah no no it's not an american problem also you know where colonialism began that was here so you know <laughs> very much <laughs> we, so we have yeah. to we have to you know we have to be real about this and I, it was it was super it was super exhausting i have to say and from that perspective this year was actually exhausting and that's why i was you know why i stopped preparing those shows and now i realize that you know now that christmas is near i actually want to do another one it's it's totally understandable though that you know like there's just a certain amount of capacities and like emotional capacities that you know w one human can have and i feel like yeah totally understandable yeah yeah i mean you know like i i have to say i have to say you know for i i mean i understand myself in that aspect as well i know why i didn't do it but also it's kind of a shame because actually you know doing that show you know, and giving something, 
was something that I actually that I actually enjoy. It was know? balanced. The whole, yeah. yeah, exactly. And the whole being black in Germany thing was something that I didn't enjoy because at the same time, you know, people are asking you a lot of questions. At the same time, it becomes more dangerous if you're seen all of a sudden. I I do I do want to get into that idea of uh, balance a little more, um, if you don't mind. Yeah. And I would love to hear more about the musical that you performed uh, with earlier this year. It's called Nina Simone for Women. And you ah. performed and participated in this musical with the Vienna Theatre Project in Vienna, Austria. Um, would you mind giving a little rundown about that musical and how that came into place and like how you found yourself in the middle of that as well um i went to vienna earlier this year in july shortly before my birthday actually and um i was invited by uh the band clip click and they invited also preached from the collective one mother and they invited paula elmschler to read and um i also got invited to play a set and um When I got there, I met up with an old friend who I knew back from my musical days. And she said, like, you know what? There's going to be an audition for a musical and it's about Nina Simone and I can't do it. Would you want to go to the audition? And so I met with a director, Joanna Goodwin-Seidel, who is uh, an interesting woman, I have to say. Really, really fun to work with and to talk to. And um, yeah, I auditioned for either Nina or Sarah and I got the part of Sarah and so I had to go and live in Vienna for <laughs> six weeks in uh, August and September and um, the show is basically it plays in 1963 a day after the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham Alabama where four little girls died I mean, it was a pivotal moment in the civil rights movement, you know, like Martin Luther King came down to, to, to there and then, you know, lots of marches happened and it was, you know, due to the children getting involved into the um, uh, civil rights movement, especially uh, SNCC and the NLACP and everything. And so um, the musical, is, though, is um, a fictional situation wherein Nina Simone the singer sort of politicizes herself because she goes into that church for inspiration because she wants to write a song. She wants to uh, write Mississippi Goddamn. And while she is there, she meets three other women, a, uh, a black housekeeper, a civil rights activist, and a prostitute. And those four women are actually while they're the four women out of the song the iconic Nina Simone song they are also sort of trying you know they're also the connection to those four little girls being four stereotypical black women types that could have happened in the 60s you know I was It was written by Christina Hamm, and I think it premiered uh, in 2018. And there is a lot that in that musical, you know, minus minus queerness, because that is, that is one issue that it doesn't touch upon, but it touches upon a lot of other things that are still 
problems today. You know, it's, I mean, it, it, it's sort of, you know, it's always, there are those four women who are basically talking how they're on the receiving end of so much intersectional discrimination of misogynoir, especially. And, um, so I had to play this housekeeper type church lady kind of woman, Sarah, who's worn out, who has, knows what her place is. And she's like so different from me, you know, from, from me as Malonda, as a political activist kind of person. Mm. Isn't, isn't she a character who, like, again, has been a, a housekeeper ever since being a teenager, yes. like, doesn't really do politics and, exactly. you know, goes like, yeah, the civil rights movement, that's just too radical for me. Exactly. She doesn't want it. She, she isn't into that radical stuff. She thinks, you know, <laughs> it's it's sort of like, you know, if people had known their place, then those then those girls wouldn't have died, you know. Wow, but at the, yeah. But at the same time... At the same time, you can tell, and that was really interesting, you know, why, why that, why that part was so interesting. You know, I had to, I had to, str I had struggled with her a lot, you know, like I had a lot of internal conversations where I really had to learn to understand and, you know, like feel empathy towards this character because she was so different from everything that I believe in. And then I realized in how much pain and suffering she actually had been to actually get to that place where she was more like an Aunt Jemima than anything else, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, she has like a huge, because she, you know, Nina is on stage for like 30 seconds alone and then Sarah already enters and she stays until the end of the play. She pretty much stays on stage. So she has like this huge character development, you know, where she goes from, from very, very yeah, matter of factly to getting really, really angry, you know, and yelling wow. and being, and being that's like, that's really cool. That's, that was actually really, really cool thing, you know, to play with and to actually reconcile myself with that specific sort of pain that a woman like Sarah had and actually to learn to understand and also love that woman. Because in the end, you know, those, those women all discovered that it's also a lot about self-love but also about community and being true about themselves while connecting to each other and that that was a really it was it was very powerful and we actually dedicated the last show to the memory of Brianna Taylor because that hung mm -hmm. over all of our heads so that was yeah. a really really important thing for us as well As a black woman yourself how did it feel to perform in this musical uh, given obviously the backdrop of this year's events of the global uprising for black lives. Like, do you feel like you gained new perspectives by playing a black woman in another time and who's kind of like so polar to your identity and like in 1963? Um, and like, how did you see the, the parallels and like, how, how did that make you feel basically? Well, the thing is that I had to, I had to, what, what was really important to me was getting a feeling for that you know the black experience is not a monolithic thing you know like there is not that one the black experience we are as diverse as any people so and there's also there's also you know having grown up in germany you don't have a sense of community or we or blackness as a social construct or what is that even you know because you know like a lot of 
for example, a lot of people from uh, South uh, South Asia, for example, you could you could probably say because Germans are the way that they are, they probably have heard the N word a fair share of their life. So, um, what is what about those experiences and stuff like that? So, what does blackness in Germany in Europe actually mean? You know, getting on, get, you know, having to think about that. And then at the same time, also realizing that I have to, have to know that I have to name that part of my identity. Because when I grew up, I was used to being in so many white spaces where I was being told that it wouldn't be an issue and stuff like this. And if there would be any issue, then I would be the problem. So I had been gaslit into the Nirvana already. So um I have to say that, you know, actually, actually, you know, it put a lot of salt into that wound, but at the same time, it was very healing, you know, to reconcile those experiences with my own, I guess. You know, and to say, okay, so there is blackness that translates to everybody, you know, that, 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 you know, like, how can you say that? It's a little difficult to say in English, but there is a certain black experience that I think every black person can connect with, you know, even if you come from different places all over the world. Um, because you're always seen as black. It doesn't matter where you go, you know? So that part of discrimination and what that means in your life, being read as black never goes away. Mm. And, and it is always kind of the first or like often the first thing that is seen about you. Like I've, I've heard that from, from, from other people, in this year, like, read it in a bunch of articles and stuff, like, um, how, you know, how, yeah, how it is always the first thing that, like, gets to define you yes. somehow in the first place. Yeah, and exactly, you know, and so, you know, like, an anti-black racism is such a, it's so deeply ingrained into the fabric of society all over the world. <laughs> so it's like, yes. you know, it's yes, like really, so. it's really something... You know, so, so to a certain, you know, even if there are different contexts to a certain level, those con contexts always translates, you know, you always connect to that specific part of experience. And at the same time, it was also really important to me to say, to say like, okay, so this is an, a US American narrative and it's different from a German narrative, which is very unique as well, because I have to say, um, The German, especially black women here in Germany, they have shaped a lot of political discourses here in Germany. They have been around for a while. So um, that is also a very powerful aspect that we hardly ever mention, you know, that the, that the fates of black women in Germany are considerably different, that, that black men are not so centered as they are everywhere else. And... Um, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's sort of, that's the thing that I'm thinking about right now, because that feels sort of radical to me, I have to say, you know, that to, to know that especially the black movement here in Germany has 
come about due to the activism of women specifically, and they are named, like Maya Yim, for example. They have names and we know them, and that's good. That's really interesting. I um, I would like to ask one, a uh, couple more questions about like the musical and like what you know how that went for you. Um, Let me have some chocolate. Did work. I need chocolate. I need chocolate now. That's <laughs> alright. Uh, I was wondering, did working with the musical help you have somewhat of a distance to like, kind of like the daily. Uh, amount of horror, like the, the horrible videos of police brutality, like the never-ending loop of uh, the the video of the George Floyd murder uh, pushed through the news every single day. Did sort of like working within that music and like sort of like behind these closed doors kind of help you uh, have kind of like a little bit of a healthy distance to that, even though inside the bubble you engaged with the same topics, but more in an abstract way? Um, do you know what I mean? Yes, I think, I think, I mean, I, it, it was on, on a certain level, it was like sort of shielding myself from the daily business. But then again, it wasn't because as I'm saying, the whole Brianna Taylor thing was pretty much, was pretty much, you know, the, the verdict and everything that happened there was sort of like, it was around, yeah. you know, and especially seeing how she was treated, her, her whole case was treated so differently from George Floyd's, you know, was especially, it was especially jarring at the same time. So um, that made it all the more real. But I have to say that due to me not being in Germany and being away, I wasn't also available for a lot of conversations that were probably happening around that time. And I wasn't just, I wasn't just involving myself. I was rather focusing on what we're doing there, which was pretty unique, was um, I think that what has been the first time that four black women were playing leads in on a stage in Vienna at all. You know, there was only black women Probably, on stage. Probably, yes. <laughs> so <it wasn't. laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, not going to lie. Austria, just as Germany, is an incredibly white, uh, like incredibly racist country. And it was it was hard to actually get the press to even talk about talking about it because like, yeah, but we cannot feature four women on one, four black women on one page. I think such a thing was wow. said. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, but wow. Austria keeps it real. You know, I have to, I have to, I have to say, <laughs> as opposed to Germany, where they always, you know. Austria, baby. I, ha I have to, I have <laughs> wow. to. Wow. say you know germany germany would be gaslighting you and being like nah mm, it's not about that it's more like people wouldn't be interested and then it's still about right you know it's it's still you don't want to feature four black women on the page and austria and austria just goes yeah, austria just wow. says you know like nah uh, nah too black we don't want that how how was the reception from the audience it's like i'm not completely aware how exactly that like worked out with corona restrictions and stuff at the end but like i'm right to assume that like at least some people saw the performance right yes. like physically yes we had i mean we had to we had to uh had to keep those keep up those regulations everybody had to wear a mask in the audience they had to sit a mm -hmm. fair amount of you know like they have to be the air con the air ventilation systems always had to be, be on there were only fewer mm -hmm. guests than usually and they had to sit apart um the audiences i think You know, some understood. You could, you could, you could, you know, you would always know if there were more black people in the audience because they were like, uh -huh, you know, like understood a couple of jokes that, you know, only, only black people would get, I guess. Sure. Um, and then at the same time, um, everybody was 
really impressed because they got to see something which they probably didn't think about before. So that was that was really nice, you know, so that that you know, while there's always this argument as I'm saying is always like, you know, um stories about black people are not interesting or nobody would buy them and that's just simply not true. You know, because it's like there there is a demand, there is there is an audience for this, there's interest in general. Um but you know, capitalism working against minorities. We all know that. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really interesting, and I'm—I think it's really, really cool. And um, yeah, I—I would have—I would have loved to go, but I wasn't really like. Uh, actually, um, uh, both of us were supposed to record in person together, uh, because I wasn't far from Vienna, but we ended up cancelling because of Corona numbers, and um, yeah, it really sucks. But uh, anyways, here we are over Zoom again. <laughs> um. <laughs> Speaking about like pandemic, corona and everything, how do you feel like you adapted to kind of like that new reality of, of, of lockdowns and, and social distancing and, and, and stuff? Um, how, how, how did your year go with like all of that? I have to say um, that uh, I wouldn't say that I was super affected. I mean, my musical... Um, Side definitely was super affected. Okay, let me rephrase that. So, um, sure. I think I adapted fairly well to this. Um, but because I first I got a grant when the whole thing started out, so I didn't have financial issues to begin with. And then I have, uh, I work as a, at, as a technical assistant as a germ, at a German TV station. And I had, so I had to continue working. Um, It sucked not to be able to play concerts and musicals. I mean, that sucks, you know, but then, um, again, that was the same for everybody. So, um, I have to say that actually worked for me. I got into being outside and taking walks with people a lot. Um, social distancing as I'm socially awkward is not the worst thing for me. <laughs> I, have to, I have to say that. It's like, ah, oh, it's so bad. You have to keep your distance from me. Stay there. Social distancing can stay. No. <laughs> yes. Um, and um, yeah, I didn't, I have to say that, you know, it's probably good. I mean, you know, the thing is, I also, I also st started seeing a new therapist. That's also probably a good thing because the only thing that has been heavy on me has been, you know, like there is like your, your own specific mental condition. And then there is the mental health of society and society's mental attitude has been weighing heavily on my head you know and that has been it has been especially coming back from Vienna and coming back to Berlin everything was everybody was so negative everything was just everybody was so aggressive and angry and you can actually feel this you know and it's like it's like there's like a like a field of emotions all of a sudden it sounds really esoteric but it's just you know you can actually feel that I don't know how to explain that other than that no, that's all right. I, I, I really get it. So that was, that was difficult. I have to say that was really difficult. So, um, I'm really, I'm really, you know, and I have to, I have to urge everybody listening, you know, you know, if you, 
if you ever feel that everything is getting to be too much, you know, go see a therapist, you know, actually, actually don't be, don't be shy to, to address, you know, to take care of your mental health. That's a really important thing, especially in times like these. It is. I fully agree. And I can uh, very much uh, back that message up and say that I have missed a total of one appointment, one weekly therapy appointment since like May. So I've been straight at it. And I can tell you stability is a pretty, pretty damn good thing. Yes. Yes. Because I mean, there's like a lot of structure is actually missing, you know, a lot of those everyday structures. We all know that, you know, because they're different, they're different kind of lockdowns all over the world, but we can pretty much say that our everyday structure structure is pretty much shot out right off, right out of the window. So. You know, it's like, yeah, and like, especially like people in the music industry, like friends of ours and stuff, um, they've like many of them have pretty much lost their just entire existence. You know what I mean? Like, for example, like say like people that were really used to like just being on tour the entire time. Like, for example, I had toured maybe like seven or eight months out of like last year out of the 12 months and, uh, I pretty much literally got home just a couple of weeks. I literally got home from a tour in the US literally a couple of weeks before like the world just closed down. And I sort of went from a hundred miles an hour, like uh, doing a performance every single night uh, to just being stuck, like completely stuck and like not being able to do anything anymore. And like, obviously the whole company was front just broke apart because all of our tours that we'd been racking up and stuff everything had to be cancelled and um yeah not gonna lie it's been it's been it's been pretty tough uh especially if like kind of like all you know and all you do is like music yeah you know yeah exactly yes uh actually i was about to ask you the last question for today and uh, I was wondering, is there anything you've learned from this pandemic? Is there like, and maybe maybe we could try to sort of end it on a kind of like more hopeful slash positive note and just be like, you know, is there is there like a really positive thing that you learn out of this pandemic and like maybe a specific skill that you take out of this time? Um, mm, that's a good question. What did I learn? Well... As I'm saying, my year didn't really solely center around the pandemic. I mean, mm -hmm. and I learned a lot about myself and I also learned a lot about society, like society having been in a huge paradigm change for at least the last 10 years, probably earlier. And it's going to continue. And all those, all those issues, all those social justice issues, they are all connected. And the pandemic sort of went on to show that, you know, like where social injustice is actually happening. And there is a chance for all of, all of society, all kinds of societies, special, especially that we can get towards fixing those problems that affect us globally. You know, because we're not just different nations, but we can, we are also, we are also one people. And that is something that I think everybody has become pretty much aware of how the dynamics are in this world. And mm. that we need to have a closer look about what kind of humanity we want to be. And there's a chance to actually really learn that. And work that out. We need to sort a lot of shit out. It's just 
<laughs> That's very true. Uh, powerful words for the end. Thank you so much for being on today. Uh, I've been your host, Maya. This has been the Quish Front Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we hope to see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> and this is it for another episode of the Quish Front Podcast. This has been Finding Balance and Perspective with Aishan Malanda. Hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to check out Aishan's solo music project Malanda on YouTube and all other streaming platforms. The Quishfront podcast is recorded and produced in a home studio setting in Austria where we're looking at going into lockdown number four. Yay. Please wear your FFP2 mask and make sure you do get tested regularly. Healthcare systems around the world need our support more than ever right now. Let us know what you thought of this episode, leave us a review and share it with a friend if you enjoyed it. Every little thing helps us a lot. We have new episodes out every second Saturday. Thanks again for tuning in and we hope to see you again next time.